0: out of the 24 who were killed, were Americans who had come to learn in the cavern. I say one million Jewish children who were made to become Musa. Whoever heard such beautiful words. It is never too little it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Welcome, everyone, to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and we're going to go back to part two of Rebbe Vadi Yosef. We ended off last time with um, really if we would have cut off the story then in 1983, which is where we ended off when he retired from uh, his position as the Chief Rabbi of the State of Israel. So it really would have been a fabulous career. Pretty much uh, did it all up till that point and little did he know uh, the story was just beginning and and if i would characterize the difference between the first part of the story to the second part and uh, many many see the distinction in a in a political sense which definitely has some element of truth to it but it definitely doesn't really paint the whole picture of who he was he was so much more than just a rabbi who happened to be involved with politics and uh, the real distinction is Whereas the first part was he was a paisik, a rabbinical leader, uh, and so on, um, who had a lot of influence. The second part of the story, the best way to characterize it as, is as a what what's today called a gadol hador, the great leader or the greatest leader of his generation. Now a lot of people have. Uh, that appellation added to their name, and many uh, journalists and and other uh, deciders of public policy are very careful about who they... They add that title to whose name and who has it and who doesn't. So what's kind of unique about the Yosef is because in a certain way, there may have been a couple of exceptions uh over the last 500 years i don't know, i'm i'm open to the idea that there may be exceptions but pretty much since the spanish exile since uh, 1492 the amount of influence and universal respect that he had and that he enjoyed as the godolador in his later years is in the sparty world is almost unparalleled and that's exactly what in a certain way he set out to do is to bring back the svari world to what it was supposed to be um with someone at the head of it and that someone could very well be him um who would be um an almost undisputed Gadol Adar, um with the respect across the board and uh, including the ashkenazim and that's that's a, <laughs> that was an important point so what we come to is really how it came to be was through this the founding of Shas through the Shas political party where he stood at its helm and he was the spiritual leader and so much so until his name his very name came to be till today years after his passing pretty much synonymous with the movement it's the it's the party of Maran um, sometimes his name is not even said it's Maran Maran uh, Rebbe Vali Yosef and and um and I want to go through that a little bit of that process about how it happened and how it developed. And really, was it just about Shas or was there a lot more? And there definitely was a lot more to it than just politics. So what's ironic is is that the founding of Shas had nothing to do with him. It had nothing to do with Rebobad Yosef. What's even more ironic is that contrary to popular belief, it had nothing to do with Rav Shach either. And... And this might be the most surprising. It had nothing to do with Aryeh Um What it actually was was mainly by people who have been completely forgotten. Unfortunately, they really were the ones who initially caused this amazing revolution, um, creating a a Sfardic Sephardi, uh, political party for religious traditional um Sphardic Jewry in Israel who until that time they didn't have their own political voice they traditionally went to, back in the old days of, of of the in the 1950s they generally went with the mapai because that's they were what they were told by the Jewish agency when they were brought out from Morocco and and Iraq so they but very quickly they switched over to Cherut, Menachem Begin and over the years Many of them had been with the Likud in the later years, but here they, they finally got their own voice with their own political party. And it started in a very interesting way. In the 19, in 1983, there is Iriya municipal, um, elections in Yerushalayim. Um, so 1982 is there's a campaign. And what traditionally had happened was, there was only one religious party, so all religious Jews voted for that party, and that was the Aguda Sistrol. And the Aguda Sistrol, we'll say it in a nice way, they didn't exactly treat the religious Svardim as equals. There was a feeling of discrimination and second class citizenship, and they didn't have their own representatives within the Aguda Sistrol party, and they kind of had to take whatever the Aguda gave them. So a couple of very brave souls A fellow by the name of Yaakov Kohn, Nisim Zev, Shlomo Dayan. The three of these get together, and they're, this is the amazing part of the story, is that it's really a grassroots movement. They are not leaders in the Sephardic community in Yerushalayim, they're not rabbis, um, and they're just regular people. And they say, basically, that we've had it. We've had enough of being treated this way. we had enough of not having our rights. We're starting our own political party. Everyone thought they were crazy. Their own family members thought they were crazy. Now, really, the founding of Shas is another story, and I don't want to get too sidetracked, because I'm really speaking about Ravadi Yosef here. I just want to give a tiny drop of context. But ultimately, it's a whole story. And actually, last year, a movie, an Israeli uh, movie, came out in Hebrew, called Habilti Rishmi'im, meaning the, um, could be there's an official English translation, but the kind of the idea is the unofficial or anti-establishment people who set up, who who founded the Shah's political party. It's a fascinating uh, movie. It's a feature, not a documentary. So the director took some creative liberties in describing the story that aren't exactly historically accurate. But that's the tendency of movies in general. But otherwise, it did a great job. Uh, um, and and they, but that's, that's, if you want to know the story, the story is there. And there's also books been written about it and articles and all kinds of things. In any event, it's not that, you know, ancient history. It's 1982. Um, it's before I was born, so I consider it ancient. But it, So so what happens is is that they, against all odds, they win. And they get three seats into the Iriah, into into the Yerushalayim Iriah. And everyone turns around and says, hey, these people are real. They're on the map. So now all of a sudden they get a lot, a lot of support, and everyone else jumps on the bandwagon, and they decide to run the next year in the Knesset elections. So the party is kind of taken away from these founders, and now everyone else moves in. And there's a fellow named Nitzchak Peretz, who now becomes in charge of the party. Um, He has a young secretary in his 20s named Aryeh Derry, who eventually takes the party away from Peretz, and he becomes in charge. That takes a few years. That takes uh, to the late 80s. But what they do is at this early stage is that they set up a what they call a moetzet chachmei haTorah, and this is a rabbinical council of um, to, to 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 guide the party because it's officially a religious Sephardic party. They try to garner votes so from across the Sphardic spectrum. They give it an ethnic feel, and they try to. Uh, market themselves as one who's standing up for any discrimination in any area and segment of Israeli society against uh, people who come from the Mediterranean basin and North Africa. In other words, from Sephardic origins. So they attract traditional um, Sephardic Jews and secular and religious and and Haredi from across the. The, uh, the 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 uh, the religious spectrum, so they want to have a moeset chachme haTorah. Now this they choose their words carefully here. Moetset is to uh, is to make it similar to what the Agudah has, the maeset Gedolei HaTorah. But they don't use the word Gedolei first of all because it's already taken. Second of all because it got a certain Ashkenazi connotation at this point, and most of all because the word chachme is what Sephardic rabbis had been called for generations. Chacham this, chacham that. That's what they were always called. In fact, in many circles, Rav wasn't called Rav or Maran. He was actually called Chacham Ovadia. So it was Chachmei HaTorah. It had that, that, uh, that feel for it. And the one who was appointed to be the head of the Moetzid Chachmei Torah from the moment it was founded till the day he died was Ravad Yosef. He is the newly retired uh, chief rabbi of the state of Israel, and it made sense. He was known, he was popular, he was a huge Pisik already. He was pretty much the most famous Sephardic rabbi living in Israel, and he was offered the position, and he took it. And he took it in a way that probably no one anticipated that he would take it. He was not someone who waited for them to come and ask their questions That waited for them to come and seek his advice. He took a very active, a very proactive role, very assertive position, and that's how he led it throughout his entire career. So against all odds again, they win four seats in the first Knesset elections. And here is the twist of history. At this time, talking about 1984, within the Agudis Yisrael, there was the uh, the the beginnings of what would eventually be the great schism um, that broke Agudis Yisrael and remains broken until today in Israel. In America, it's a different story, and that is Rav Shach' his separation from the Agudah. His ultimate separation from the Agudah only took place in 1988 when he founded his own political party. But he and the Gereraba were not getting along for quite a bit of time now. It was a long, protracted, and somewhat bitter dispute that Rav Shach had with the Lev Simcha, with the Gereraba, and uh, leading to Rav Shach's break and leaving of Agudat Israel. And he took the uh, what was called the Lithuanian Yeshiva world um, with him, and um, he's not ready to start his own political party. But here he has a religious party who's running in the elections and here he has his opportunity to flex his muscles in the Agudah and against the Gererba. So he goes ahead in an unprecedented move. Rav Shach, the great Litvish Rosh Hashiva, the great rabbinical leader of the Ashkenazic Litvish world, he tells his followers to vote for a Sephardic, a brand new Sephardic political party, and uh, that's what helped them win those first that first elections, four seats in the elections. Ravshach struck a deal with them, and he had a say in the party. He had a say with Ari Deri, Yitzchak Peretz, actually, who was running the party, was very close with Ravshach, and Ravshach is involved now at this point in Shas. So, and they vote. They have all these. All these uh, Litvaks, Panevichers, and others voting for Shas in their first elections, so that that put them on the map, and here they are in 1988 when Roshach founds Degel HaTaira. So he no longer is is having his own followers uh, support Shas, but he is still involved in Shas until the final break with Roshach, which is a, a whole story of 1990 where there was a, a political crisis, a coalition crisis in Israel. See, it's not only in 2019, they've had quite a few in the past. And um, Rabbi Vadi Yosef ordered Shas to go with the coalition, with the left, uh, the the the, the leftists. And Rav Shach told his followers, and he told Aryeh Deri, and Yitzhak Peretz, and whoever would listen to him in Shas, to not join the coalition, to go against the left and to go against labor. And Arabavadya said, You're listening to me, this is my party, this is not the Ashkenazim's party. And that was the final break with Ravshah. But that's really when he asserted his independence. This is his power and this is independence. And Arabajya, you know, Yitzhak Peretz leaves the party at that point. That's when it becomes Ari Dari's party. Because Ari Dari says, I'm listening to Arabaja. It's a Sephardic party. He's the leader. He's the one I'm listening to. And this is what has to be. And, uh, and, and Yitzhak Peretz says, no, Rav Shach is the undisputed leader of everyone. We have to listen to him. He's been involved with Shas also. And I'm resigning from the party if we don't listen to him. And he leaves. So this is, Rav Adi becomes the undisputed leader of, of, of Shas at this point because he asserts his power and independence. And this is exactly the point. He's not scared of anybody and he's not new to the game and he's going to do what he feels is the correct course of action so he's he's taking an active initiative leadership is a is, it becomes a point where the the political leaders of 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 the Knesset of the state of Israel are coming to discuss issues with Reuven Yosef not only with the politicians and his representatives in the Knesset, they actually come down to his office, to his house. Shimon Peres, Benjamin Netanyahu, believe it or not, it was around the 90s already also. And all other leaders of the State of Israel are coming down. They, there's pictures of him sitting with maps during the Oslo Accords. You know, He, he plays the position of Shas in coalition agreements. And he agrees to go into the coalition to Rabin's government in in 1992 he initially supports oslo which was a very controversial move and then later had regrets and backed out of it and it, all kinds of things are going on he's at, in the center and the heat and the thick of israeli politics and it's and it's him it's a someone who's a rabbi someone who's a gadol someone who's a leader and he becomes known to the israeli public like that and this was Almost unheard of at that level of involvement for a rabbinical leader in his position, and that's and that's a, an image that he created for himself as the head of Shas. But what's important to emphasize is that is that in his own mind, even in the in the media and in the public mind eye, especially in the secular Israeli public's mind eye, he was almost like a politician. He's always. He's so involved in this political party, but that's not how he saw things. He is someone who is a leader of his people. He's a very charismatic speaker. He, in one of the ways that the masses followed him, one of the reasons he was so attractive to the masses of Jews, of Sephardic Jews, was, was his style of speaking. He spoke at the, the language of the people, the style of the people. He was funny. He, he was entertaining he he was very charismatic very very knew how to play the crowd very knew how to say things that people would 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 connect to and that's what made him such a fantastic leader it was amazing speaking skills um and and he had a connection with american jewry he uh He would visit America quite often really right would he was the time of the of the chief rabbi when he was the, when he was the chief rabbi. Of, um, of the State of Israel, or even before that, Chief Rabbi Tel Aviv, there were visits that he had. Like any chief rabbi in history of the State of Israel, there's all kinds of halachic issues that needed to be clarified with American rabbis about gerus and all conversion policies and all kinds of other things. And it brought him to America. He spoke at least once that I know of, maybe more, at Yeshiva University. He gave a shir there. He, um, he used to spend his summers in Deal, New Jersey, with the Sephardic Syrian Jewish community, which is closely related to uh, to the to the Iraqi Jewish community, which is his origins, but um, but his idea wasn't was very non sectarian. He was close with the American Jewish community, both Sephardic and Ashkenazic, in a way that in the way that he 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 was the rabbi of everyone, especially in the Sephardic Jewish community, in the Sephardic world. Where he wanted to do away with all the sectarian halacha and 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 customs. He wanted a you could even say it's a there are those who want to say that it's a almost a form of nationalism. That in in and as the as the melting pot of Israel, the melting pot of the post-war world where everyone comes together, there's no country of origin anymore. There's no uh, halacha or customs from your original country anymore, where you come from, a uh, Morocco or 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 uh, Egypt or Syria or Iraq or Tunisia or anywhere else. There's only Maran Beit Yosef, and we're gonna bring the halacha back to a certain standard, and that was his goal. Now it's interesting. The slogan eventually of the Shah's political party was La Hachzir Ataral to bring the crown of glory back to what originally was, Rebbe Yosef used it for decades before that in his halachic quest, and only later did it come on to have the overtones of a political movement, an ethnic movement, a social movement, a cultural movement. That only came later, especially in its political sense. And his main goal was in a rabbinical leadership in halacha, around the world, not only limited to Israel, and, um, and to bring all people together, B'nai Torah, religious, traditional and secular Sephardic Jews, under one rubric of Shas, of Halacha, Shas in the political party and Halacha. You know, he once, uh, I, heard, I actually heard uh, Aryeh Derry say over this story in an interview, He, he um, the night of the elections when they won the four seats. That night, so you see, talking about this is this is, what they, this is what they've been pushing for. This is what they've been dreaming for. This is what's going to put them on the political matter. Are they going to be a local party that was able to finagle a couple of seats in the Yerushalayim irreal election, or are they going to be the real deal? They're going to be a real party in the Knesset, and months of working, and everything's down to this and Ari Deri said he was in Rubavadya's house that night and he's listening to the radio in one room. Rabavad Yosef is learning from a safer in his study in another room, oblivious to everything. And finally, late at night, they announce on the radio that Shas won four seats. He jumps out of his seat, Ari Deri, and he yelps out, Wow, amazing, this is great. And he runs to the study. And he tells Rabhavadi, interrupts his learning, and he says, Rabbeinu, Harav. We got four seats in the Knesset. Rebavadiyah looks up and he says, Yofi. And he turns back down to his Sefer. Very nice. One time one of his Chavrusas, I also heard this, him being interviewed right after Rebavadiyah had passed away. One of Rebavadiyah's Chavrusas that he learned with um, was delayed in coming into him because there were a bunch of politicians from the Shah's political party who were in his office. He couldn't start his learning session with Rebavadiyah. When they finally left, His Chavrusa comes in, they open up their svarim. they're about to start studying together, and his Chavrusa couldn't hold back, and he says, what what, what was the hack? What were they just talking about now? What were they asking you about in the Knesset? And and Rav says, it's bad enough that I have to waste my time talking to them about it. I should waste my time that I'm supposed to be learning with you talking about it also. And that's who he really was. That's 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 what he really represented. He he represented on one hand the hasmada, the learning as a gadol adar, on the other hand as a paisik, someone who, like I said last time, he took certain brave kulas. He took a a very lenient position sometimes, like with the Ethiopian Jewry or with heter mechira by Shemitah. He said. It's, he said Sinai Adif. It's better to have a wide-ranging knowledge of halacha and then to assess the situation than to be a greater, what we would call, a lamdan. He knew how to relate to the people. He took on early on in his career a way of a friendly slap to people who came to him for brachas, which is famous in all the videos I've seen of him. He had a sense of humor, his manner of speech. I once heard him in a halacha He was giving about the nine days and he was talking about how uh, how he he he's very lenient in allowing people to shower if they're sweaty and smelly. We live in a very hot climate. And he said, Ashkenazic Paiskim, I've heard, are much more stringent in this matter. And he says, and that's why if you hang around with Ashkenazim during the nine days, they smell. It's so smelly to hang around them. You can't hang around Ashkenazim during the nine days. And... He made this like very, you know, very uh, without any without any beating around the bush, very plain and simple the way he spoke, and then he had on the other side of him this this leadership, very strong and assertive leadership of Shas of the political party, and he brought it to wherever it needed to be brought. And uh, and to many people, he's still leading it to, till today from up uh, up in heaven, as as is clear from the signs that appear before every and very often Israeli election. So this was Yehudi Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygevss at gmail.com for questions, common sources, tours and trips to all places of Jewish history. You can subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Don't miss an episode. You can follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites. And I hope.